0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You know, over the last few weeks, we have been looking at Matthew chapter 13 in a series that we have called Like. And the reason why we call it Like is because in Matthew 13, Jesus teaches a bunch of parables where he says the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would talk about something from agriculture, he would talk about something from fishing, something from their world, their life that they understood, and he would use it as an analogy to teach us about something that we don't know but need to know about, and that is the kingdom of heaven. And so... We've been walking through these parables over the last couple of weeks. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower, one of the most famous parables that Jesus teaches. And today we're going to talk about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And so we're going to look at that together from chapter 13, uh, verse 30 around there in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to just uh, ask you all a question. And that question is this. The last time you flew on an airplane, okay, so go back to that spot. The last time you flew on an airplane, did you listen to the safety speech? You know, at the beginning of the flight, someone who works for the airline will will stand up and will go through what to happen in case of a loss of cabin pressure, in case the plane crashes into a lake, what you might use as a flotation device. You know the presentation, right? Did you listen the last time it was given? No, why not? They're trying to save your life, okay? Why did you not listen to them? Well, I think that the answer is fairly obvious because we don't expect the plane to crash. Think about this. If one out of every two planes crashed, would you listen to the safety speech? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't fly on the airline. But if one out of two planes <laughs> Crash! you absolutely would listen to that safety speech. Not only would you listen, but you'd be elbowing the person next to you saying, pay attention, turn off the iPad, take off the headphones, listen to that person. They are speaking about your life. And yet we just tune it out because we don't think that there really will be any kind of an accident. You know, I was thinking about that today because today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about judgment from God that is coming. And we're going to talk about the gospel and how we can be saved from that judgment through Christ alone. And even as I mention that topic to you, some of you are tuning out. Some of you are going, you know what, been there, done that, heard it over and over again. But let me ask you. Even if you had heard the safety speech on the airline a thousand times, if you thought the plane was going to crash, would you listen? Friends, it's not a 50% chance that God's judgment is coming. It's a 100% chance that God's judgment is coming. Every single one of us in this room, every single person on the planet will one day stand before God on judgment day. And knowing that that day is coming... How do we live our lives now? How do we order our lives today? Well, Jesus tells a parable to remind us of the coming judgment so that we might turn to him while there's still time. And the parable that we're going to look at that illustrates that point is the parable of the wheat and the weeds from chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, and then the explanation that Jesus gives in verses 36 through 43. So if you've got a Bible... Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning in those verses. Jesus was teaching to them in parables, and in verse 24 it says, "'He put another parable before them, saying, "'The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also.' And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And the master said, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go out and gather them up? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them into bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. And so Jesus teaches this parable out in the open where his disciples are, but also where a number of other people in the crowd were listening in. And after Jesus teaches that, he goes into a house and his disciples gather around him. They say, hey, Jesus, tell us what that parable was all about. Explain it to us. Verse 36, it says, they left the crowd. Jesus left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, "'Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field.'" And Jesus answered, "'The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age.'" The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so, friends, Jesus teaches this parable of the wheat and the weeds, and then it's explained so that you and I, even today, Might know the meaning of this story. In order to help us not only look at Jesus' explanation of its meaning, but also hopefully for us to remember it and keep it fresh in our minds in the days ahead, I want to use a quote that maybe will help us organize our study of this parable from the great American philosopher Yogi Berra. Yogi's one of the most quoted people in American sports. And there's a quote that Yogi gave all the way back in 1973, in August of 1973. And I was like a week old when he said this, so I don't remember him saying it. But it's been said over and over again so many times that that I've I've heard it again and again. And, And it's this famous quote where his team, the Mets, that he was managing, were in last place on August the 30th, with just one month left in the season. And a reporter came up to Yogi and said, Yogi, what are the chances for the Mets this year. And Yogi said, what? It ain't over till it's over. That's what Yogi said. You ever heard that quote? It comes from this wise man. And every English teacher in the room is cringing right now. But we're going to use that outline of that quote to help us understand this parable. Because friends, I think what Jesus was saying when he talked about the parable of the wheat and the weeds, was he was trying to let us know that it ain't over till it's over. Now we see that first by talking about the fact that it ain't over, meaning this era in which we live, the time, the season, the age in which you and I are living on this planet is ongoing right now. You see, what we've seen in chapter 13 is that Jesus is Telling these parables about this current age in which we live. And we see that because if we look at kind of a timeline of the earth, there was creation long ago, and then there will be a time that R.E.M. might call the end of the world as we know it, okay? So there is this, this line of where the world is is going, from creation in the past all the way to the time that is the end. Now, inside the Old Testament, the prophets looked out towards the future, and they saw two events. Now, they didn't recognize them as two events. They thought they were talking about the same time because they both dealt with the Messiah, But they saw two events. The first event that they saw was the birth of the Messiah. These were prophecies that existed about his family tree, what family he would be born to. These were the prophecies that talked about where he would be born, the star that would shine in the sky, all of those kinds of things. There were prophecies about the first coming of Christ. And there were also prophecies about a second coming of Christ. These were prophecies that talked about the establishment of the kingdom of God upon the earth, the lion lying down with the lamb, judgment coming upon all unrighteousness, and righteous living being rewarded by God on the earth. That idea was also seen by the Old Testament prophets. Now, when the Old Testament prophets looked at those two events, they saw them as as one entity. But when the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus, what happened was this time developed that is the current age in which we live that Jesus calls a secret or a mystery, and He teaches the parables of Matthew 13 to explain the secrets of the kingdom. In other words, how do we make sense of the age in which we now live, the time between the first and second coming? Of Jesus. He tells parables in Matthew 13 so that you and I might understand it, and so his first followers might understand it. And so, what we see in the parable of the wheat in the weeds is we see an explanation of life as we know it. Now, what is inside of that explanation of this present age? Well, we see a number of things. The first thing that we see inside of this present age is that God owns the earth. There's a land owner, somebody who owns a field inside of this story, and the person who owns that field is God himself. In other words, to put it in very simple terms for us, we're in, this is God's world, we're just living in it, okay? This is God's world. Regardless of our experience, regardless of how close we feel to him, we are inside of his world. Regardless of whether we have embraced him or whether we have rejected him, we are living inside of his world. That means that there are consequences that we will give to him because we are living in his place. Jesus describes it as somebody who owns the land and that owner of the land is clearly identified as God himself. Now, inside of this land... That God owns in this present era. One of the things that we find is that there are some people who are living in this age who are saved. There are some who have embraced by faith the gift that God has extended to us through Jesus Christ and have found themselves forgiven of their sins with the promise of eternity. In the world in which we live, there are, there are many who have embraced this message. In the room in which we sit, there are many who have embraced this message. In the, the children's building that sits behind me, there are many who have embraced this message. In churches all over this community, all over this country, all over this world this morning, and in places not in physical buildings like this, what we see is there are people who have embraced the work of God through Christ. And if they've embraced that work, then they are saved. And Jesus tells in this parable about there, there are those who are like seed that has been planted intentionally by the landowner that have grown into wheat, that have produced a good harvest, that one day will find themselves in the barn of the Father. Friends, if you've embraced Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're the wheat inside of this story. But Jesus tells the story to let us know that in this current age in which we live, it won't just be people around us who have embraced Christ, but there are going to be those who have rejected Him, or those who have never considered His claim, or the fact that He owns the earth, or the fact that their only hope is in Christ alone. And so there are some who are saved, but also in this story we find out there are some who are not These are the weeds of the story. Now where did they come from? How does that happen? How does it happen that somebody rejects the God who created them? Or has not even stopped to consider it? Well in the story we find out that it's because of a deceptive work that was done by the devil. In other words... There is someone who is at work in the world who wants to wreak as much havoc on God's prized creation as he can. And the way that he has chosen to exhibit that influence is to try to confuse and mislead and misguide people away from their God. Those who have rejected Christ are the weeds inside of this story. Now when we hear this story of the wheat and the weeds, we may not fully grasp it. Because we don't live in a world that is largely agricultural. Now, some of you are farmers, and you get it, but some of you are like me, and you don't get it. So let me just say this. When Jesus told this story, he told it with farmland all around him. He told it to people who got it. And when Jesus told this story, he told it to people who lived in a world where there was a law on the books in Rome about what to do to somebody that sowed weeds among your wheat. Because it was a common crime of spite. I mean, think about it. If, if I get really crossways with Jordan, and Jordan's a farmer, and he's got this land, and I really wanted to get after Jordan, what I might do is I might take some seeds that would produce wheat, weeds, and I would cast them inside of his wheat field. So that when it began to grow up, he didn't just have a good crop, but he had some bad stuff in there too. And Jesus tells this story to help us understand how, in his world, in his field, how is it that everybody hasn't believed him? Well, it's because the devil has misled. And there are some who are saved and some who are not. But here's the thing we're all living inside of this same field. You know, it's, it's not that there's a sectioned-off area with the weeds over here, and there's a sectioned-off area over here that was the wheat. The, the picture of the parable is that the wheat and the weeds are growing on the same plot of ground. And friends, this is a reminder of the world in which we live, isn't it? Because think of every plot of land inside of your life. There are those who have embraced Christ, and those who have rejected Him or those who have never considered Him. That's true in your family. That's that's true in your workplace. That's true on your block. It's true on your sports teams. It's true inside of the church building. See, there's no place that we can go on this earth where we will find just a totally pure collection of people who have embraced Christ. I mean, we might be able to to self-select and think we could find it for a little while, but it won't stay that way because that's not the intention. That's not the nature of the age in which we live It's not the nature of the world. It's a a field, it's a plot of land where believers and unbelievers are intermingling, who are growing up together. We live in in this kind of an age, in this kind of an era. Why are we talking about the gospel inside of the church? I mean, don't we all believe it? Well, many of us believe it, but some of us don't. Some of us are still considering it. So we read this story and we look at its truth and we think about its reality We challenge us with the reality that we live in a world where we're all growing inside of the same field. Another thing that we see about this is that judgment is not immediate. Now, this is something that we see inside of the story. When the the owner of the land looks out and sees the wheat and the weeds growing up together, The, the servants come and they say, hey, should we just begin plucking the weeds? And he says, don't do that. In other words, don't have immediate judgment on those weeds. Give them some time. Wait till the harvest. By application, this reminds us that judgment is not immediate in our lives. And this is something we, we know too, right? I mean, the last time you sinned, did you get zapped by lightning? If not, come up at the end. I want to pray with you, right? We, we oftentimes aren't zapped by lightning when we sin today. Why? Why, why does that happen that way? Why is it that time rolls on without the judgment of God coming when we sin? It's because we live in an era, we live in a time where God says He's going to delay judgment to the end. Because right now, there's different things growing inside of His field. And we'll talk in a minute about the significance of that and And how do we respond to that? But it's just a reality that we need to remember. I mean, this is why, friends, we we don't take the judgment of God seriously. Because we sin and nothing happens. Somebody shakes their fist at God and curses at Him and they keep breathing. Somebody makes an argument about how Jesus isn't the Son of God and nothing seems to happen to them. As a matter of fact, at times they flourish. They have multiple degrees and are given honor and are quoted in Time Magazine. How is it that it happens that way in the Father's field? Well, it's because there's a delay in judgment. Now, friends, let's think about this for a moment. What are some things we need to remember in light of all of this? We need to remember that it ain't over right now, right? That we're just in that intermediate period. And so, We need to remember that sin and evil are not judged yet, but they will be. You turn on the news at night, you hear of travesties happening around our country, you hear of challenges and sin prevailing around the world, you you think about the the difficulties and the, the havoc that is wreaked inside of your family or inside of your city or on your street, and you wonder, will God ever... Make good on those things. How is it that evil seems to prosper? We need to remember that the reason why those things are happening is because it isn't over yet. God is withholding His judgment to the end. Sin and evil are not judged today, but there's a promise that they will be. That's where the story ends. One of the things we need to remember. Second thing we need to remember is that our sin and evil are not yet judged, but it will be. You know, when I talk about the travesty in the world, we want justice. But when we think of the sin in our own lives, we don't really want justice, do we? We want mercy. We want God to forget about it. We want Him to look the other way. And we'll talk in a moment about how Christ intersects with that and the hope that He offers, but let's think of a world without Jesus for just a moment. A world without Jesus has all of us certainly standing before God one day, and the Owner of the field who knows it all sees everything we've ever done, good and bad. He sees all of the sin and every way that we fall short, and one day we will have to give an account for that. See, sometimes we're lulled into the fact that we don't need Jesus because we don't think that judgment is real because we sinned and nothing happened. But the reality is it's all a part of his plan. Our sin and our evil will be judged at a time in the future. So it makes sense for us to be aware of that reality right now. And the last thing that I think we need to remember is this. Satan looks like he's winning. But he isn't and he won't. We think about the world today, it looks like Satan has got some dominion. It looks like he's got some momentum. It looks like there's all of these awful things and that somehow His decisions, though awful, are paying off. But the reality is it has no future. One day, the harvest will come. Evil and Satan will be dealt with in a swift and final fashion. And so we can be reminded of that great reality. That it's all coming to an end one day. See, when we struggle with these these ideas... That the world is not as it ought to be. We ought to be reminded of the fact, in the words of the great Yogi Berra, it ain't over, right? It ain't over. But guess what? It ain't over till it's over. And what we see inside of the scripture, inside of this parable, is we see a reminder that there will be a time when it will be over. It's not an infinite amount of time in front of us, but this world is finite. And our opportunities inside of this world are finite. They will come to an end one day. It's very clear inside of the story that Jesus tells that there is a time when the crops will be cut down. There's a time when the harvest will happen. And the, the implication and the application for us is there is a time when our lives will be over, and we don't know when that will be. If it will happen today If it will happen tomorrow, if it will happen 10 years from now or 20 years from now. And guess what? Regardless of your age, you have no guarantee on how long that time will be. You don't know. But the story reminds us that life will end at some point, a harvest will come, and at that time, judgment will await us. It's one of the things that we see judgment is coming. A second thing that we see is that the owner is aware. We don't have an owner who has, we don't have a a heavenly father who's forgotten about this world that he created. We don't have a God who doesn't care about us. He cares deeply about each of us. He understands who we are. We were created to live in relationship with Him. The owner in the parable is aware of the condition of the field. He's simply waiting for the time of the harvest. The owner of this world is aware of you and your life, and you matter to Him. And one day, you will give an account for your life to Him. Judgment is coming. The owner is aware. The question then really ought to float to this. Why is he waiting? Why is he waiting? In his providence, he's waiting, but for what reason? Here's what I want you to do. If you've got a Bible, look at chapter 13. Look at verses 24 through 30. Just just look at them. Scan through them. you've got an iPad or a phone, flip through there. Look at those verses. What do those verses tell us is the reason For the owner of the field to wait for the harvest. See, friends, he's he's waiting for a very specific reason. He's waiting for the plants to reveal themselves in maturity. Now, again, when I start talking about weeds and wheat, I'm talking about something I don't know much about. But I do have Wikipedia. And so I looked this up, okay? Um, And here is what I found. What I found is wheat and darnel, which was a kind of a weed, look very, very similar, especially in the early stages of their growth. As a matter of fact, the the, the wheat and the darnel were almost indistinguishable when they first began to spring up in the soil. And so as they're beginning to spring up, the owner of the field wisely says, we can't tell at this point what is what. Let it grow on to maturity. And here's what happens. When those two plants hit maturity, you can tell the difference. There's a different color. There's a different posture. At maturity, it is much more probable, much more possible to distinguish the wheat from the Darnell, and a good farmer would wait to that time to yield the maximum harvest, to not get rid of any of the good while at the same time getting rid of the bad. Why is Jesus waiting? Why is God the Father waiting to bring judgment upon the earth? He's waiting so that in maturity we might reveal ourselves as wheat or weeds. 2 Peter chapter 3 really deals with a similar topic. Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, here's the thing. In this world in which we live, when someone trusts Christ, they don't turn blue, they don't turn green, they don't grow wings, and they don't get a halo. As we live out our lives right now, there is very little, as far as a physical feature, there's nothing that distinguishes a believer from an unbeliever. But the hope for eternity, the hope of the barn, the hope of the harvest, is that we would be wheat and not weeds. Now, here is the miracle of God. The miracle of God is this all of us, every single one of us, was once a weed. Every single one of us was once dead in our sins, and God has waited for the harvest so that we might be wooed towards him, so that we might trust Jesus in faith and have our lives radically transformed from a weed to a wheat, so that he might collect us in maturity and take us to the barn. Friends, I'm so thankful that the Lord did not return and bring judgment upon the earth in 1989. Because if he had of, I would have been separated from him forever. I'm so thankful that the Lord did not return in 1973 or in 1967 or whenever you trusted Christ. Friends, the Lord waited for you. To immaturity. the seed that he sowed in your heart, that you would receive it and believe it and that he would transform you into a stock of glorious wheat, so that you might avoid being gathered in a bundle and burned in an eternal fire of hell. That's why the Lord has has waited. See, the consequences are significant. They're severe. He talks here about weeping and gnashing of teeth, lest we think that was just a one-off statement, Jesus tells another parable in chapter thirteen, forty-seven, and following. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. When it's full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted good into one container and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth same language is used there it's talking about the severe consequences of hell that that lie ahead of those who fail to embrace by faith the work of Jesus for our forgiveness see friends every single one of us will stand before God in judgment one day every one of us will and when we stand before him in judgment there are only two options either we will stand before him on our own merits Our own sin will be exposed and we will pay the penalty for that sin which is a separation from God forever in hell. Or if we have trusted in Christ, then God will look upon us and he will say, all of the penalty that your sin deserved, all of the wrath and the anger and the judgment that I have was fully paid when I poured out my wrath upon Jesus on the cross. Therefore, you are saved. Come into my barn and be with me forever. The consequences are significant. Question is, are you wheat? Or are you one of those Darnell weeds? Well what do we do? What do we do? Few things I want us to remember today. First one is this Remember that evil is temporary. Remember that evil is temporary. One of the things we see in this story is that in this present age, it looks like Satan is winning. It looks like evil is going along well. Everything is growing up in the same field, but eventually, evil will be judged. Eventually, it will be done away with. Satan will be locked up. He'll be thrown into that furnace, and those who are following him will end up there as well. Sin and the flesh and the world will be done away with. Evil is temporary. Friends, one day, evil will be as, as, as like dinosaurs are today, right? What are dinosaurs today? They're, they're just something that existed in the past that we see reminders of but are no longer living upon the earth. When we look at eternity in the presence of God, evil will be that way. Right now, we live in an era where it looks like it is prospering, but it will not prosper in the end. There will be merely fossils remaining one day of the pain, the struggle of this earth. We need to remember that and be encouraged by the temporary nature of those struggles. The second thing I think this is so important and so critical that we need to do is we need to repent before the time runs out. Friends, it ain't over till it's over, but one day it'll be over. What are you waiting on? There, There are some who are hearing my voice right now, are thinking, you know what, I'll get serious about my relationship with God, I'll get serious about trusting Christ after high school, I've got too much fun that I've got to live out right now, or when I get into high school, then I'll get serious about this, or after I finish college, or after we have, you know, kids, then we'll get serious about all this, then we'll begin to put it all together, or when the kids leave home, then we'll get serious about it, or when I get the new job, or when we move to the new town, why are you putting off trusting in Christ today? Yeah, it's not over, but it will be one day. We don't know what day that will be. Repent and trust Christ while there's still time. Right where you sit, just acknowledge your sinfulness. Acknowledge the grace of God and the opportunity for forgiveness in Christ. You go from a weed to a wheat. The third thing, friends, remember to share this message with everybody around you. Again, if you're on the plane and the safety speech is going on and you know the plane is going to crash, you don't let the kid beside you look at the iPad. You turn it off and you point them in the direction of the hope that they can find. You don't just engage in small talk with the person on the other side. But you, you stop the conversation and you say, this is important in light of the reality of the crash that is looming. We need to listen to the advice that they're sharing. Friends, the gospel message is life, and we have the privilege and the opportunity of sharing it with others today. Will you share it with others while while you have time? In, In your field, in your family, on your street, on your team, in your school, in your workplace, while there is time, who is God laying upon your heart that we might take the message of hope to them? See, friends, it ain't over yet but it will be one day. Let's trust Christ while there's time. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for the hope of your word. And thank you that in the face of judgment that you let us know about, in the face of judgment, you give us time to turn and trust in Jesus. Father, may each heart in this room trust you. Rely only upon Jesus and His work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and for the hope of our eternity. And Father, I pray that not only that, but that we would be people who would be a herald, who would go out and invite all around us in every sphere of, of this little field that You you own, Father, but we're living in, that we might proclaim the hope that we have in You to all who would hear. And Father, we pray that you would just give us the strength and the grace to follow you and find our hope and our life in Christ alone. We, We fall on your mercy, Father. We trust you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.